Hello and welcome to Build Momentum, where we make PR easy for education organizations. This show was created to help edtech startups, research institutes, and schools learn how to develop simple, replicable PR strategies and how to execute on those strategies. I'm your host, Sarah Williamson, and I've spent the past 15 years working in PR where I've been able to understand what works and what does it when it comes to making an impact. I will share my tips for success and interview others who have done the same to provide you with the framework that you can use within your own organization. Be sure to grab my free guide, How to Create a Killer Case Study, even if you don't have data, at casestudy.swpr-group.com. That's casestudy.swpr-group.com. And on today's episode, we have Gina Condon, the president of Construct. Gina, welcome. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here. Good. So I would love for you to start off by sharing with our listeners more about your background. I know you have such a deep history in education. I think your story will really resonate with many of our listeners. Well, yeah, I uh, came into education really through psychology. I have two degrees in developmental psychology. And then, you know, I went to the Graduate School of Education at Harvard, but they have a concentration in human development psychology. So for about 10 years, I was working with young people, you know, doing some research with attention deficit disorder. And then I worked in residential treatment centers, working with teenagers. So I always worked with young people, but was just adjacent to the school setting. And I love developmental psychology and it comes into play all the time in the work that I do. Great. Yeah, I'm sure it does. So tell me more about Construct because most of our listeners, this is a national audience. So a lot of them might not be aware of your organization. So tell us about it. Yeah. So Construct is an education nonprofit. We founded in 2013. Our mission is to ensure that all kids have the skills they need to thrive in a rapidly changing world. And when we talk about skills, we mean skills like creative confidence, collaboration, critical thinking, empathy, communication, of course. You know, as a PR person, I know you know the importance of communication, written, oral, and digital is so important. And these are the skills that we know are the high-level transferable skills that all employers want, whether you're civic or working, very important skills to succeed in the world that we know is changing constantly with the innovation economy. Yeah. And the way that we get to those skills, so that's our mission, the what we do is we build and facilitate student-led design challenges, which are real-world problem-solving exercises that are sponsored and supported by industry and community partners. So industry and community bring real-world problems, and we curate a learning journey experience for students that allows them to build products and service solutions that solve the problem, essentially. And all of our problems are focused on social, climate, racial justice issues. So we tap into students' passion and purpose. And by giving them sort of a curated experience where they're leading the journey, and then they design a product or service that actually for an external audience, it really helps them to sharpen all those skills that I just listed above. The other thing that the complementary to the design challenges, we cultivate communities of practice with teachers and principals who are also using the design process to be able to spark culture change and drive innovation at their schools. That is pretty impressive. So it sounds to me like you're bringing the entrepreneurial mindset to a lot of these kids, which is, you know, probably, you know, but it's something I talk about on this show a lot that I think that's the future of education. We can't just do one off an entrepreneurial course. It needs to be woven throughout everything we do, which means not that kids have to be own businesses. It's just thinking like problem solvers and being solution oriented, right? 
Yeah, entrepreneurial mindset is exactly at the heart of what we teach. And you're right. I think it's interesting that you recognize that that might not always sit smooth with teachers and in the educational world. And we've been doing this work for six or seven years, and it's just now starting to be a little bit more (laughs) palatable to think about, oh, yeah, entrepreneurship, you know, because it's not about, like, I think a lot of people go to the Mark Zuckerbergs in the world and like the evil industry, right? Exactly. But the entrepreneurial mindset really ensures that kids can be the entrepreneurs of their own life, right? Yeah. So I think one of the fundamental things that we see that students come out of our design challenges with, and this speaks to the entrepreneurial mindset, is that they can see a problem, Mm -hmm. turn it into an opportunity, and then add value in the world, right? And that's what entrepreneurs do, right? They add value. And so we focus on social entrepreneurship and that value being equity, you know, social and climate impact, triple bottom line, right? Making the world a better place. And we start with this notion that everybody's a change maker, right? Everybody can access the power to solve problems. And I mean, I think to your point, it's incredibly valuable for kids to be able to see how they're going to make a meaningful difference in the world. And that's part of the transformation we talk about, you know, with our communities of practice is school can become a place where kids can sharpen those skills, right? How do I add value? How will I make a meaningful difference in the world? And we think by solving real world problems is a way to get there. Yeah, I love that. How did you, since this show really is about PR, I'm curious how you got started and promoted your program. Mm -hmm. And is this something that could be replicated in other cities? I'm curious if people could kind of think that way when they hear your story. Yes. Let's see my story and how we got started. I mean, my background, as I mentioned, was in developmental psychology. And then I took a little turn into the private sector where I worked in technology as a technical recruiter and really was able to sort of, you know, I just kind of uncovered my own personal strengths in entrepreneurship and business, those skills. So then when I took a small break having kids and I wanted to go back to work, I wanted to go back into the education space and make a difference. But I knew I was going to be a teacher because I just have huge respect for teachers. So I wanted to create something that would support teachers in education, right? And education. So I actually found a program called at PSU. I was looking at MBA programs. I was thinking I would study, you know, something in nonprofit business. But PSU has an incredible program in the business of social innovation. So I did a certificate course there. I put the nonprofit together, construct, and what we formed around the idea of wanting to help transform teaching and learning really to, because there's this gap between how we are preparing our kids for life after school and what the world expects of them, right? So that we really need to have this transformation, right? The learning inside schools needs to look a, a lot more like the learning that's happening outside of schools. And so how do we do that? So we looked around and we designed around teachers, really seeing them as one of the most underutilized creative resources in the school system. And how do we support them to be creative change makers? Yeah. And so in the very early stages, we were a grant maker and were so we wanted to fund edupreneurs, entrepreneurs who are redesigning new models in teaching and learning and then help to expand access to those. So we see our work at the intersection of innovation and equity work because schools and under-resourced communities are more stuck. Students are a little more stuck in those antiquated compliance models. And so as we start to design, you know, real world problem solving and surface educators who want to be change makers, we want to be right there helping teachers and students in under-resourced schools work through those constraints, right? So that we can level the playing field. Yeah. Because we believe education is equity work, right? If you're doing it right, you're teaching at the level that every kid needs to go on to pursue their highest dreams, right? And so, yeah. So, I mean, I would say for me, I went back to, you know, it was that social innovation and social entrepreneurship and being able to say, 
like define the problem that you want to solve and then understand the user experience within the problem. And so for us, it was around how do we, we want to drive, we want to support transformation and innovation in education, but how do we do that? So we work with teachers and principals and understand where they are. And, and so what we did, we introduced the design process. We have strong partners, the K-12 lab at Stanford, the founder of a program called Breaker, Juliette LaMontagne, who created the design challenge framework that we use today. Those are all grounded in human-centered design. And then we bring principles of entrepreneurship to that. But we have found, and what's been really at the cornerstone of our success is that the human-centered design really helps to elevate creative confidence. And when we teach it to teachers, we run workshops with teachers, they get a sense of optimism and that I can solve problems inside the class and outside the class. And then couple that with we build and model our design challenges with teachers. They see student engagement go through the roof. They see the creative confidence of kids go up and then it just starts to click like, oh, we can, we can make these transformations, right? I'll just close that sentence with, you know, the idea is that we're moving from that compliance model, right? That compliance Mm -hmm. era model school was designed 150 years ago Mm -hmm. and really only designed well for probably 20% of the population even then, right? Designed by white men. And so that's why it's designed to produce the very outcomes that we're getting. And so right now we are working with teachers and principals to redesign the next phase of teaching and learning. And that looks a lot different, like students led learning experiences. And so it takes teachers, you know, they need to shift their practice and we support them to do that. That is pretty incredible. Are other organizations nationally reaching out to you or are you serving as an advisor? Because I feel like you should be getting out there and sharing this message. Yeah, you know, we, because I mentioned the K-12 lab at Stanford and I had mm-hmm. Susie Weiss founded a program. She founded the K-12 lab. She was on our board of directors for a couple of years and created a program called School Retool, which is a fellowship, a national fellowship for principals. And we are the community partner in Oregon for that program. And so through that, we've networked a lot with organizations like High Tech High. Yeah. And so, but we're very focused on Oregon as a model, right? And then the other interesting thing about Construct is we're a public nonprofit, but we did start as a grant making institution, but we work hard to raise money. We have a lot of partners through other education foundations and then corporate sponsors and donors here locally. And so when you are taking money in Oregon, you want to invest in Oregon, of course. Mm-hmm. But as of late, we've been in a partnership with an organization called Inflection. And they are a very nice partner for us because they help to do that sort of implementation science where you set the core system anchors that can take the work that we're doing at the student and teacher level around real world problem solving and say, okay, this is the culture of your school. How do we then make sure our hiring practices align with that and make sure your grading practices align with that? And so an inflection is a national program. And so I do see opportunities where we could support schools that they're working with in other states which is exciting. That's a very exciting move for you. So I'm curious for other nonprofit leaders who might be listening, how would you recommend that they share their message and their story? Well, one thing that helps is to have a board member who's in the PR world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out Madeline Turnock. Yes. Exactly. So, you know, I think about, you know, what's fun about being an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur. And so I run a nonprofit, much of it, but you get to wear all these different hats, right? And so you don't become a, like a super specialist, but you're a generalist. And so getting to do the branding work that we worked on last year, we rebranded. You know, I think when you're a startup, you have the opportunity to stay 
closer to the user experience, right? You're really, you're much closer to it. And so then being able to really study those needs of the users, and in this case, it's really teachers and students, and understand that to then say, you know, how do we add value, right? That's what it comes back to is how do we help? And so we kind of were able to distill down to this notion of unleashing the joy of learning. Right. And so construct is that's what we'd say. We construct, let's unleash the joy of learning. That's our goal in every school in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And landed on that because when you think about what we talked about earlier, having the skills of to succeed in the innovation economy, that requires agency and autonomy. Right. And then how do we get agency on autonomy in learning? It's through creating things that matter to kids. So if we think about when a student is switched on and they're curious. And they're inquiring and learning about something that they want to learn about, right? That's the nugget, right? When they're switched on and engaged in inquiry and understanding a problem better. So the goal then becomes like, how do we transform school to tap that in every kid as, as, you know, as frequently as possible? And so when you see that curiosity and that confidence, there's just a joy, right? There's a joy of learning. And, um, and we see it for teachers. We really, we, we often we say the joy of learning and then in parentheses and teaching. Right. So when teachers yeah. feel that they can tap into student agency and autonomy, there's just a lift, right? There's just a feeling of like, I'm reaching the kids I want because we believe teachers go into this work because they care so much about student success and wanting all kids to succeed. And I think it can be frustrating at the traditional education model. That's not to point fingers at anyone. It's a big system, but it's like a one size fits all model. And so mm-hmm. the work that we do with the design process and, and supporting teachers to think of themselves as designers, really their experienced designers, they are then connecting with and creating better experiences for their students. Yeah. And so once we distill down to that value that we bring, and I think to back to your question about how do you spread your message and get the word out, when you become really crystal clear on the value you add, and your theory of change, then what is that nugget, right, that you could brand? And so through that work, we came up with Unleashing the Joy of Learning. We worked with a great organization called Evolve here in town and did some branding work. And it was after six years, you know, of really working closely and surfacing leaders in education who wanted to drive change and building communities practice. And through that, we were able to come up with brand. And it was very rewarding to do that work. Yeah. I mean, it takes time, six years. Yeah. That's really helpful because I think a lot of people think it's going to be overnight to just right. figure out how to share your message. But it's a slow process when you really distill that down and take the time to understand what you're trying to share. So that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and entrepreneurs don't always move slow. So good point. Like sometimes you do have to slow down to go fast, right? Yep. that You sure do. But it's hard for us to do sometimes. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so another question for you is, how has the pandemic impacted your organization and mm. how are you moving through that? Yeah, it was pretty stressful in the beginning because our customers, really, our school districts, our principals and teachers, and of course, we just, you know, there's no way we were not selling professional development services to them. and We didn't even want to or try. And then it became about supporting the teachers in our network and how would we do that. So, you know, luckily, last spring, right before the pandemic, we had one of the biggest sort of boosts in our work, which was to run the future of transportation. We reached 180 kids, and that was a design challenge, working with six of our school partners, principals and teachers, and all the students were working on how do we expand access to electric vehicle transportation, transportation electrification. And shout out for the sponsors, that was PGE, Pacific Corps, and TriMet came to us and said, we really want, you know, we've got a goal in Oregon to cut carbon emissions by 50% in the next 10 years. 
transportation is a major contributor to those carbon emissions. So we want to spread the word. We want kids to come into the process and design solutions for how we can get more people in electric vehicles over the next day. It was brilliant because we were able to go out to six or across the state, many rural communities where our schools were based. This is all just to say that it was a really powerful design challenge. And we had a huge pitch day event at the OMSI on March 9th, like two days before everything shut down for the wow. COVID pandemic. And had I not had that experience or had my team not had that experience, we might have been, you know, wondering what we we're going to do. But so the shift that we've made is instead of selling a lot to new districts and trying to bring folks into our network, we actually have a very good network, a strong network of leaders here in about 80 principal fellows and 300 teachers who have gone through our introductory workshops. And they're all very interested in this mission of, you know, student-led learning and solving real-world problems. And so then we've been able to work with industry partners and to say, just focus on building design challenges and then helping bring, just bring those, not sell them, but bring them to school partners. If they, and then teachers, so we're working now with teachers and student teams together to learn the process of solving real world problems. And industry partners are really enjoying being a part of that. So we're running the K2 Innovation Challenge right now. K2, the new station, pulled together, you know, it's it's PGE and Daimler and First Tech and Intel. And they wanted to do a statewide innovation challenge. And they asked us to help structure because we do that. And so that has been fun. And so to see the interest in industry supporting this work, it really speaks to the fact that the industry needs to stand up and say, we need kids coming out of school with these skills, right? The skills that, can, you know, you have the innovation economy. And so it's really nice to see the interest in the industry sector. So that's been a fun shift. And then to take the pressure off of like, so you're trying to get into PD workshops with schools and principals, but yet now just bringing them, bringing them these exciting learning experiences and saying, look, we'll work alongside you. There's no right way to do it, but shadow it with us. You'll see yeah. it, you'll do it, and then they get hooked and they want to grow. So that's been really fun. We've been able to, that in the PPP, <laughs> two rounds of the PPP has helped yeah. keep us feeling like, oh, okay, we're going to pull out of this. Okay. Good. I'm so glad. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of nonprofits were not so lucky. So it was stressful. It was very stressful. Right. Okay. Well, if you had one final piece of advice, what would that be? Anything that you can share or just insights that you gained? Yeah. Well, I think right now with now that, you know, the trial, you know, for that's happening in the murder of George Floyd and, you know, the uprising that started last spring really deepened the need for student voice and equity in education. And so we are running and growing an equity center design challenge, which is all around students designing new experiences, students designing new experiences for communities of color on campus. And so we've got a lot of education leaders now really promoting the idea of student voice. And that is that indicator of agency, right? When students are leading something, talking about their work. So that we love that. And design challenges surface student voice and gives students an opportunity. So I would say as we are coming back out of COVID and out of the pandemic, and there's a conversation about building back better, it's an opportunity for educators and communities, education communities, to think about redesigning for student-led learning, right? Redesigning for student voice and choice and how they can drive real-world problem-solving. I think there's an opportunity there as we come out of this. Couldn't agree more. I hope that happens. I really think this is the biggest opportunity we've ever had Mm -hmm. in our lifetimes Mm -hmm. to make some real changes. Don't you agree? 
I agree. Yeah, I do. And I think education is kind of, you know, behind civil rights, the women's movement, the environmental movement, education's got its time now. And you know, there is, there's a lot of thinking and all we have, to, and that's, you know, part of our theory of change is it's communities of practice and cycles of learning, letting teachers learn it and change their practice. That takes time. But I think the will and the shared vision for that transformation has been growing over the last couple of years. So I feel good about that. Yeah, me too. I think this is fantastic. So Thank you so much for joining us, Gina. I think our listeners will get a lot out of this episode and at least they'll be inspired. That's for sure. You're quite an inspiration. So thank you. Can you share where we can reach out to you? Sure. Yeah, people can follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at at ConstructPDX. And then of course, our website and to find out more about getting engaged in design challenges, expanding them or mentoring, volunteering, just come to our website at ConstructLearns.org. And I'm Gina at constructlearns.org if you have any questions. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great time. Thank you. I love your podcast too. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yes. And Build Momentum listeners, don't forget to grab my free guide to creating a killer case study, even if you don't have data. Again, that's available at casestudy.swpr-group.com. casestudy.swpr-group.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and write us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you choose to listen. We will be back with another episode of Build Momentum next week. Thanks so much and have a fantastic day.